Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. And now, enjoy our latest episode. Right now, what AI is really good at is sparking ideas and creativity. Like, hey, give me 10 possible headlines for this article. But I don't think AI is really good at actually doing the reporting or the fact checking or the fact generation. Artificial intelligence is not going away. And as it gets better, it will likely disrupt the media landscape and alter how journalists do their jobs in much the same way as the internet has. I'm Michael O'Connell. Welcome to It's All Journalism. David Cohn is the senior director of the Alpha Group Tech Slash Media Incubator and the co-founder and chief strategy officer of Subtext. Before that, David was a journalist and lecturer at UC Berkeley's Journalism School. Welcome back to the podcast, David. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's good. It's good to, to catch up again. Now we've had you on the podcast a couple of times talking about Subtext. And I think the last time we spoke was during the pandemic, sort of how that the pandemic had changed the way newsrooms had functioned or were functioning. And today we're going to we're going to talk about AI and its impact on journalism. But before we dive into that, why don't you sort of give me an update? What, what's going on with you? What's going on with Subtext? Subtext is it's doing well and growing. We work with all kinds of media brands now, Forbes, Punchbowl News, The Hill, New York Post, PBS, Gannett, and others. So we work with everything from hyper-local and nonprofit media orgs to more national news orgs. I think soon we'll be working with some of the, you know, really notable brands of record. And as a business, you know, we're, we're growing. The product really continues to improve, which is what I'm always excited about. Some of the new features and functionalities that we have in response to what journalists and reporters need. So we're just going to keep doing that. Before we go much further, could you sort of, uh, for those who may not be familiar with subtext, can you sort of describe what the service is? The quick version is subtext is a platform that lets what we call hosts, which can be journalists or organizations, text with their audience. So you can text to 5,000, 10,000, 100,000 people. They can reply, and then you can start one-to-one conversations or segment the audience. You can do this, and there's all kinds of different ways that it ends up being beneficial for the news organization, either because it's a subscription offering, people pay to get those text messages. You can sponsor the texts to find revenue that way, or you convert folks into subscribers. Or finally, you can use it as a retention tool to keep existing subscribers engaged. We had a podcast a couple of months ago about somebody that had to do with like hurricane coverage and how they were using texting rather than social media or even their website or newsletters to um, share up to the minute information. So that's yeah. just one of the one of the uses. Anyway, <laughs> let's go to the other other end of the tech scale. Let's talk about AI. You know, in the last few weeks, there have been reports and news about artificial artificial intelligence being used to create journalistic content like. ChatGBT and BuzzFeed launched a bunch of, you know, AI driven, I guess, quizzes so that people find out, you know, what type of person they were, what type of relationship they ran if, if you told what breakfast foods you liked. So, you know, what do you see as where AI platforms are now and what maybe sort of limitations they have? Sure. You know, I started off in journalism, actually, I was a tech reporter. So I'm sort mm -hmm. of putting on my old tech reporter hat. 
And when we're talking about like chat GPT in particular, the first thing I like to point out is kind of what's happening a little under the hood compared to say search from Google. Cause we all kind of know how Google searched when it came on the scene, it would index the web and then it would use hyperlinks as kind of like a voting system to create a hierarchy of search results. And chat GPT is a large language model. And it means that it's taking in a large amount of written content and then it's using statistics to kind of predict the next word. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind because ChatGPT doesn't actually know the answers to a question that you ask it. Instead, it's using statistics to predict the words that would appear in a well-written answer, right? And so you know, maybe that's splitting hairs, but I think that's like an important first thing to kind of acknowledge. And so when it comes to asking the question of like what it's good at right now, I think there's a ton of potential on the creative side, right? Chat GPT can be leveraged to do really highly creative outputs, kind of, you know, like what BuzzFeed is describing actually is a really great use case in my opinion. But the two downsides are the things that it's not as good at. It really isn't good for things like understanding broad general facts, right? It can do things like summarize a piece of content that's very defined, and it can do that pretty well and keep those facts in place. But once you ask it a sort of general question where the input comes from a large amount of language data, essentially the internet, it can start to get fuzzy. And, and we've even seen that, I think, in demos, right? In fact, you can even ask it some kind of math questions and it'll predict the wrong answer, essentially. And the other, I think, big limitation is the person who's writing the prompts. And increasingly, I think there will be people who are more adept at using chat GPT than others, and they will get better results. And so the analogy that I use is the typewriter. So like the typewriter was invented in the 1860s. And up until maybe the personal computer revolution, knowing how to type was a pretty specialized skill. If you put a typewriter in the hands of a regular person in the 1930s, most of them wouldn't have improved output by the typewriter. They might even perform better if they just you know, used handwriting to get something done, right? But if you put a typewriter in the hands of someone who had learned how to use the typewriter and was really skilled, they would outperform. And I think you know, ChatGPT is kind of similar. Anybody can kind of use it, but I think some folks will be more adept and be really skilled at using it, and they'll be able to really leverage it, whereas the average person might end up kind of pecking slowly at ChatGPT to use that typewriter analogy. To try to figure out actually the best use for it. I played around with it a little bit last night. And I got kind of the point, you know, after, you know, they said, here's some things, you know, try these types of approaches. And I tried a few different things. And then I was kind of like, well, let me just, how would I use this? How can I sort of, you know, learn what this thing does? And then maybe try to gain some insight on whether it's going to replace me as a reporter. And something you said kind of reminded me that you remember Ask Jeeves, which apparently, yeah. is, a, which apparently yeah. is around. Is it? <laughs> I, I saw it somewhere, but it's like the steam car and the gas engine. It's like mm. these things develop. They have a, a different approach, but for a variety of different re reasons, one is overwhelmingly popular and the other isn't. And the thing I remember about Ask Jeeves was you almost kind of had to ask it a, the question. I think you had to ask a question. You did. So you had to formulate it as a question. And then also I seem to kind of remember that Jeeves had a bit of an attitude as well, which for the people who were writing it thought it was, oh, this is really great. But for everybody- Right, his who, personality. <laughs> yeah, as, a, as a use case, I don't want to go ask Jeeves. He's a real dick. I don't want to, <laughs> I'd rather spend my time with, you know, Google. You know, anybody who's sort of, you know, frightened that this is going to, you know, take us over, it's like, this is a tool. And if you play around with it, you begin to see that in a Google sort of way, as a search engine that's able to bring in you a lot of information and maybe help you to 
you know, inform what you're trying to do, I think it's, it's promising. And I don't think it's just going to go away. I think it's no. going to get better at what it's doing. And as you said, people are going to get better using it. So, <laughs> so what about AI ethics? I mean, one of the things that you had mentioned when we first talked about doing this interview was that there needed to be this, like we develop ethics for how we use different types of technology and, and the way sure. we cover the news, that there would have to be some sort of code of ethics established for using AI. Why do you say that's necessary? I mean, I think whenever you have new technology, you have to take the existing ethics and sort of reapply them. One of the best examples is a guy named Matt Waite, who was and is, you know, into drones and how journalists have used drones, you know, examined, again, imagine a murder scene and there's like a drone hovering over a grieving mother, right? I think we'd all say like, hey, that's kind of unethical. Why don't you back up? You know, we know intuitively as a reporter, like give a mother grieving over a lost person at a crime scene space, but now it's a drone. So we have to re-examine that same question through a new lens. I think the same thing will happen with AI. We kind of know our ethics, but we have to kind of figure out how they filter and apply through AI. So, and actually I was just reading Gideon Litchfield, the editor-in-chief at Wired. He just put out an article titled, How Wired Will Use Generative AI Tools. And what was interesting is he defined how they're going to use it, but also how they're not going to use it. And I think that was like one of the things that he was sort of planting a flag is we're not going to use it to do AI written articles or AI edited articles even, unless that's part of the point of the article, then they'll call it out. This is supposed to be an AI article. And I think, you know, in the end, again, right now, what AI is really good at is sparking ideas and creativity. Like, hey, give me 10 possible headlines for this article, right? But I don't think AI is really good at actually doing the reporting or the fact checking or the fact generation. I think that still has to have the reporters in the driver's seat. So it's a long-winded way of saying, I think transparency is going to be important. I think we can't rely on AI to produce facts or do fact checking. And again, that's why I like stress that statistic stuff earlier, because ChatGPT isn't looking up a fact. It's not like when you Google something and you get yeah. to the source, you're not getting the source. You're actually getting a prediction of what a fact is. And I don't think that's solid grounds for journalists to rest on. Yeah. But I did go back to ChatGPT and I started asking some of the questions that I was going to ask you. You're like, what are some of the considerations that newsrooms should have around, you know, using AI and for reporting? And some of these questions I'm asking you today are those that it spit out. And it was pretty clear that these are all things that have been written about someplace else and they've sort of brought them yeah. together. Yeah. So I didn't necessarily think that, you know, ChatGBT was being smart and had come to these conclusions. It was more like, here's a list of things, you know, like how do you balance the benefits of using AI in your reporting with the potential risks and ethical concerns? There's a lot of ways in which what ChatGPT does, it gives you the impression of something. It's almost like an impressionistic yeah. painting, right? It's sort of capturing the light. And there is something to that. And again, I think it can be great for spurring inspiration and spurring creativity, just like, you know, you coming up with questions for me during this, right? Yeah. But I think that that's kind of the start. I mean, another way that I would phrase it is ChatGPT is really, really powerful. And as a result, everything starts to look like a nail, you know, like when everything yeah. looks like a nail, you start hammering everything. And I actually don't know if we should be using ChatGPT to hammer everything. Because that's we your will... tool. That's your solution to everything. Exactly, right? That. But no tool does everything, right? ChatGPT, I think, gives the impression that it does everything. But what it really does, again, is kind of help get somebody going smarter and faster. But again, that person has to be in the, the driver's seat, right? And I also think there's a, a classic garbage in, garbage out problem. 
Yeah. And we're talking about ChatGPT right now, which is really the, the main one, but there will be others in the future, yeah. right? And if the large language model is trained on bias information, then it'll spit out bias impressions or bias results. And we've actually seen that, right? I think it was Microsoft's earlier attempt at releasing an AI chatbot. And like within an hour, it was like spewing out racist comments or whatever. And it's not that the AI itself was racist, right? It's just that the AI was so they fed. Claim. <laughs> right, right, right. But the AI was fed, you know, information from right. the internet. And so it does say something about humanity and the internet that is maybe another conversation. But, you know, down the line, this is where we start to talk about what might happen in the future. I think newsrooms will start to create their own language models that they can decide what information will go in, right? Mm -hmm. So you can imagine an AI trained only on AP content or an AI trained only on content from Reddit or Fox News or CNN or New York Times. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that we would say any of those are bias-free, but there would be a, some kind of transparency about what is the training that the AI is being fed. And then we can at least understand what we're engaging with as, as an audience. And you can sort of think of the AI as, as starting to almost personify brands in a real and unique way, which is a whole other interesting thought. Yeah. You remember Arab Spring? Yeah, of course. This, this idea that we have this platform, we have this tool that we can now use that's going to help people. It's going to give people voice. It's going to give them access. You know, they're going to be able to change their world and make things better. And not very long after that, we began to see that that was being used against people. The same sort of, I don't want to jump all over Twitter, but it's sure. social media platforms were being used to spread disinformation and were using algorithms to you know, manipulate people to get them to behave a certain way. And we want them to vote this way. We want them not to show up at the polls with great power. <laughs> but but it's true. I mean, my few minutes with chat and DBT looking at it, I said, yeah, I can see this, how this could be really useful yeah. for covering the news, for tracking things and, and sort of recognizing trends and, and identifying things that you should be writing about. I don't know if you'd use it for fact checking, but at least it would give you a sense maybe of what information or what questions have been asked. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, this is a thing that someone could use against me or whatever thing I'm trying to do. You know, again, it's almost unfair because <laughs> anything, right. you know, a snow shovel could be used against well, me. Well, that's true. But I think what you're talking about, and we've seen this through the internet, through the history of the internet, is what I'd call second order consequences. Yeah. And they're really hard to predict, right? When, again, search sort of came on the scene, we never would have been able to have predicted all the second order consequences as a result of Google, just from a kind of even just a, having such a, a powerful company, just even that second order consequence, let yeah. alone the second order consequences of social, which you just described. And now we're using algorithms and computers in a totally unique way. It's kind of really hitting a, a flashpoint. And without a doubt, there will be second order consequences. I mean, that's you know, not that I ever want to say anything, you know, with assurance, but like that just seems like a law of nature, but we don't know what they are right now. So I saw a lot of the articles, recent articles, when we were talking about AI, this idea that, you know, it's going to replace journalists. And I don't think it's going to necessarily replace journalists. We had a whole thing not too long ago where was it AP was auto generating sports stories mm -hmm. because everybody who's written this like a three paragraph summary of a high school basketball game knows that it takes next to no skill to do that. Sorry, sports reporters out there, but there's a type of content that we produce that has value, but may not be the best use of diminishing resources. Yeah. Easily commoditized. So, I mean, like when I hear this, I understand the concern, 
but I sort of think of it as it's a yes and no question. Like I compare it to the invention of the ATM, which, you know, when those first came out, bankers were afraid that they were all going to lose their jobs. But as it turned out, part of the result, a second order consequence of ATMs was that it became cheaper to start and run new bank branches. And so more bank branches opened up and the total number of bank employees went up overall, even if the number of bank employees per branch went down. And I actually could totally see something like that happening with journalism where a potentially positive outcome of all this is we would see former news deserts start to be covered, perhaps not by what we would consider a full team today, but by a combination of a very small lean team and some AI assistance. And personally, I'd rather see a smaller team with AI assistance than no team existing at all. So in that sense, I see it as a net positive, even if it means that the larger newsrooms will be thinned out a little bit. And those people will are the ones who will move out into those deserts, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, actually, that's something I hadn't considered. But I think that you're onto something there because... You know, we're all supposed to be one-man bands. We're supposed to be going out there and, you know, shooting video, you know, recording interviews, posting all over the place, doing social media. And some of these things are just sort of extraneous to what we do. Mm. There's content that we create that, you know, I had to try to explain why we aggregate news. And it's like, why do you aggregate news? Why don't you go out and report every story? Well, you know, I'm the only person covering this community. And there are 20 other stories going exactly. on. Let's give the other sites some credit that they had covered this and I did not. We'll just aggregate it. Here's the headline. Here's the link. Read their story. And I'm providing a service to you. And there are people who are doing things like that. I think you're seeing people develop that like newsletters. And people are recognizing, oh, you're creating a service for me, but maybe that frees up then you know, reporters and editors to concentrate more on the things that actually require, you know, news judgment experience and a little bit more skill. I mean, what you were talking about with filling these news deserts, what do you see maybe five, 10 years where AI might be at? I mean, again, I can make guesses here, but again, there's going to be a lot of second order consequences, which I'm sure I'll get wrong. You know, we've been talking about chat GPT, but it's important to also keep in mind that it is in a suite of what we would call generative AI, right? Mm -hmm. So the other big one being mid-journey or image producing AI, right? And so I can imagine a future where, again, smaller teams are able to produce today what we would consider pretty rich multimedia. And as a result, able to run and sustain businesses, smaller businesses than maybe what we thought of as, you know, the major metros in the, you know, 80s and and things like that, but still covering news in spaces that currently are ignored. And again, I think there's going to be really interesting ways that people will use ChatGPT. I can see just like we had jobs like social media editor, that was a wholly unique job, ChatGPT prompt engineer. I just made that title up, but something like that, right? Like the person who on your team is the ChatGPT or the AI engineer prompt wizard who can work with you to help make sure that you're able to do something at scale that maybe you wouldn't be able to otherwise. I still think journalists and people, humans with real concrete judgment are going to need to stay in the driver's seat as long as we are basing AI on these statistical models. Because like I said, you're not getting a fact, you're getting the statistical impression of a fact. And so once you start to get to certain things that are sacred cows for journalism, you really need to make sure that there's a human there and that there's a kind of providence. And But I do think AI will help folks get there faster and in more creative ways, which is exciting. 
Yeah. You know, to your point, you know, sort of amplifying the, uh, the idea that we're talking strictly in, in journalistic terms, but I'm sure there are plenty of entrepreneurs who are going to find business oh. cases where, oh, you know, I can apply this this way. Tons. And that, that pushes the, the whole technology further. And so we, journalists benefit from things that are developed for business purposes and other, other uses. So I do not need to update my, my resume anytime soon. <laughs> You're good for now, but again, I actually think just like everybody should learn how to type, I think everybody is going to want to learn how to engage with these generative AIs so that they learn exactly how to get what they want out of them. Okay. I think we've talked this out. David, thanks. I think we scratched the surface on this. I think it's an exciting prospect, maybe a little scary, but I think, you know, like every new technology, there are pluses and minus. We just haven't figured how... No, God knows we didn't think <laughs> of all these uh, again, minuses uh, with, the, with the internet. Yeah, and, and they're there, right? I mean, exactly, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. The, the internet was utopian, right? Oh my God, um, yeah. And I think we're at that phase emotionally with generative AI, which is great. I mean, it's a great phase. I love it, right? But we should also be aware, you know, around the corner, there be monsters. And that's fine. I think we just need to be ready for that, you know, confrontation. Yeah. yeah I think this is not Skynet. Judgment Day is not, not those monsters. Not those monsters. I think the monsters, as with anything, are going to be bad actors. People who. It will exploit. be a reflection of our own monsters. Exactly. Essentially. People who exploit human weakness and for their nefarious means. Yeah. <laughs> okay. David, thanks for coming back on the podcast. Anytime. Thank you. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who report the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. To make sure you don't miss an episode of It's All Journalism, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Amazon, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco is our audio producer. Amber Healy writes our web content. Amelia Brust is our booking manager. Steph Thomas manages our social media. Nick Dupre composed our theme music. Carolyn Belefsky designed our logo. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening. <laughs>